Hello and welcome to An Ex-Mormon's Guide. My name is Johnny Walker and I am the host of the show. Uh, just as a quick introduction about the show, this is going to take a bunch of different topics that we really don't learn about as Mormons, such as craft beer, uh, coffee, and other things besides word of wisdom things like how to make friends or how to deal with a faith crisis, which is today's episode. These episodes are going to cover the basics and maybe a little bit in depth, but we're mostly focusing on the basics and being a kind of stepping stone, if you will, to going deeper into those topics or experiences. So without any further ado, let's get into the show. Today's topic is going to be faith crises. Really, I wanted to start there because a lot of people don't know what to do during the faith crisis. You know, I've been around on the ex-Mormon subreddit, and that's one of the most common things is like I'm I'm questioning. So, with a faith crisis, it all starts with one thing. Cognitive dissonance. Leon Festinger, he is a psychologist in 1957. His uh, book, The Theory of Cognitive Dissonance, kind of introduced that topic upon the world. This, and this is his definition. A cognitive dissonance occurs when a person holds two or more contradictory beliefs, ideas, or values, or participates in an action that goes against one of these three and experiences psychological stress. Because of that, according to the th this theory, when two actions or ideas are not f psychologically consistent with each other, people do all in their power to change them until they become consistent. So in not psychological terms, if you have two opposing thoughts, you've got the thought of, you know, I believe in the church. I believe in the Bible. And the church tells me that being homosexual is wrong, but maybe I'm homosexual or maybe I know someone who's homosexual and they're a really good person. Those two ideas and beliefs are going to start butting heads until one of them kind of takes over and changes the other. So when we're in a faith crisis, we experience a lot of cognitive dissonance. We're justifying. We're trying to make things work the best we can, but we still have that constant psychological stress that maybe it's not as consistent as we want it to be. And it's not consistent with our own personal morality and feelings. As an ex another example, imagine you're a smoker. You know that smoking has inherent dangers and adverse health effects, but you still smoke. And, you know, a lot of people end up quitting smoking once they really start seeing the health effects, but it's that cognitive dissonance that is the motivator. So that leads us to 
faith crisis when our beliefs and the church's beliefs and actions are starting to collide. What can you really define as a faith crisis? I really like what Kent Annan of the Huffington Post says about it. it sa- he says, when you seriously question what you believe is actually true. And that really can apply to a lot of different things other than just religion. It can tie into politics. It can tie into relationships. It really is when we lose faith in something. That's it. We just lose faith. We're down to ground zero. And that is very uncomfortable because we've got that cognitive dissonance, that psychological stress that's coming in and hammering and hammering and hammering in our minds. And it causes a lot of anxiety and a lot of pain. So how do you manage it? How do you survive a faith crisis? The first thing you got to do, very, very first thing before everything else, is you got to breathe. What you're feeling is very real and very, very scary in it. Your whole life has just been shattered, turned upside down, and it takes a lot of time to put those pieces back together. And if we allow the panic and the anxiety to get to us, that's going to ruin our lives. So take a deep breath. And try to think about it calmly. Decisions are best made when you're calm. Big life things are best made when you're calm. But the biggest thing is you got to know that you are not alone. There have been many, 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 many different people that have been in your shoes and have felt that hurt and that pain and they can help you. You know, in the the Book of Mormon, they always talk about how Christ can sucker you or whatever. But really, in this case, it's our fellow men and women and people that can help us. People who know our pain because they've been through it. And they know that you got to take a second. You got to realize that everything's going to be okay. And it may not seem like it. It might be scary. You might have family members or friends that might look down on you. But that's the really cool thing about community. You make your own families. And if they don't accept you, that's on them, not you. Okay, we've taken our deep breath. Now what do you do? You got to focus on the truth. You got to research. You got to find what is the truth. And for many of us Mormons and ex-Mormons, we have discovered that the truth that the church gives us and the truth that we find are different. And that's why we do research. And as much as I would love to say, you know, just ignore all the church sources, in the end, you have to treat both sides of the issue as if they're equal. You've got to look at what the church has to say And what others may say, including those who have left the church. And maybe that starts with not calling anything that puts the church in a negative light anti-Mormon. Truth is truth, no matter the source. So to find truth, we can't go about it emotionally. You got to use your logic. You got to use your reasoning. You got to use your brain. And we got to critically think about everything. As church members, we're kind of taught critical thinking, but we're really, really not. 
we're told that as we have faith, everything will be fine. Who needs critical thinking? We have faith. But in this situation, this requires critical thinking. Whenever I make big life decisions, I like to make a pros and cons list, even if it's just in my head. What is the pros of staying in the church? What are the cons of staying in the church? What are pros of leaving the church? And what are the cons of leaving the church? And in my experience, one of the biggest pros or cons for either side is your emotional health. What makes you happier? What makes you more anxious? What makes you depressed or sad? Do you go home from church feeling angry all the time? Do you go home from church feeling sad? Do you feel sad when you don't go to church? These are the things you have to consider. Because in the end, your emotional health is the most important thing. Focusing on the truth and doing your research is not a short step. It's not an easy step. So you have to be patient. You have to allow yourself the time to grow. Just like with developing our talents and building skills and learning new things, not everything is going to come easy. Not everything's going to be surface level. You're effectively, you're changing your whole worldview. You got to figure out everything. When I first left the church, one of the biggest things I needed to figure out was whether I believed in God. And that was the biggest question mark that I had after deciding to leave the church. So again, be patient, be kind to yourself. As we focus on the truth, we learn that life is not always as black and white as we think it is. You have to allow for nuance and gray in our thinking and use our own judgment to discern what is truth and what isn't and what maybe is in between. Once we've done the research, we've got the information that we want. We are happy with the knowledge that we have. You got to make a decision and that decision is not going to be easy. I know for some people, it feels like maybe you're going to give up. Maybe you're making the wrong choice. So my suggestion is just test the waters. If you're unsure of your choice, try staying for a little bit longer or try moving on and see how it makes you feel. If staying makes you feel happier, then stay. If moving on makes you happier, by all means, move on. This is your decision, so focus on you. If you make your decision for anybody else but you, you're not making the right decision. Yes, you can keep others in mind. I'm not saying to throw away your relationships. What I am saying is this is your decision and whether or not they accept your decision is on them, not you. And in the end, you have to live with your decision and you're going to have to live with the emotional state that leaves you in. So focus on yourself. This is a selfish decision because it affects primarily you and that is okay. It is okay to take care of yourself because if you don't take care of yourself, who will? And maybe you have friends or family that you can lean on 
and put all this on a shelf, but they're not going to be there forever. They're not going to be there when you're trying to sleep and you can't because you are in psychological turmoil from the cognitive dissonance. This is your decision. Make it for yourself. And whatever you do, find support. Whether that is whether that is in your family or a new community online or just people you meet who are in your same situation. Find the support that you need so that you can grow. And if you stay, ask why you stayed. Ask how being religious makes you feel and start your path back to the church, back to faith from there. Find fulfilling ways to build faith while still being true to who you are. And remember, culture and orthodoxy isn't for everybody. Practice your religion in the way that makes you happy. Because in the end, if you like religion, if you like Mormonism, if you like the spirituality and the community, that's great. You got to do what makes you happy. But if leaving makes you happier, then leave. And leaving is scary and it is hard and it's lonely, especially when coming from a Mormon perspective, people don't understand what it's like. You might have friends who maybe grew up Catholic or Protestant and just don't practice anymore or whatever, but it's not quite the same. Mormonism is so enveloping and so intrusive to our entire lives that leaving is like leaving a family. Leaving is scary and it's hard and it's lonely. But for me, it was also one of the most fulfilling things I've ever done. And I can tell you right now that I am absolutely happier than I was. And now as you leave the church, there's a lot that the world has to offer that as Mormons, oh no, can't do that. Can't do coffee, can't do alcohol. But it's not just word of wisdom things. I have enjoyed learning new spiritualities. I myself am partial to some of the tenets of Buddhism and Taoism. Buddhism says life is suffering and we can stop our suffering by making different decisions. Taoism says go with the flow. And those are things that I, I enjoy. I enjoy those aspects of spirituality. Does that make me religious? No. I myself am now an atheist. But I've explored. And exploring is fun. You, you get to try new things, try new experiences. One of the easiest things you can try as an ex-Mormon is enjoying what we in the community like to call Second Saturday, i.e. Sunday. Don't go to church. Sleep in. You don't need to worry about a calling. You don't need to worry about people asking you to sub for classes that you really don't want to teach. You don't have to worry about meetings and potlucks and all those other social things. You've got a second day off. Because as Mormons, Sunday is not a day off. Sunday's a work day. And if you're like me and you're in college, sometimes you have to work Saturday after spending the entire week in class. And then Sunday rolls around and that's another work day. And you're just burnt out after like four weeks because you get no days off. But now as you leave the church, you get another day off. Sleep in a little. Enjoy. And maybe take the time to 
Learn what now drives you, what motivates you as a person. For me, what motivates me is I enjoy being creative. I enjoy experiencing new things all the time. For me, variety is the true spice of life. And I love it. I'm trying new things. I'm enjoying different alcohols. I'm enjoying different coffees. I'm enjoying tea. I never thought I liked tea before because in the church, like herbal tea was kind of gross, but iced tea and sweet tea. Ooh, wee baby. Those are delicious. But in all seriousness, not everything in the world is going to make sense. And not having a religion can be scary because you have to figure out how you believe on everything. And while that is scary, it's also rewarding to make your beliefs on your own thoughts and your own feelings and your own morality. Now, I just wanted to finish this episode with my story of my faith crisis and how I ended up leaving the church. And I share that not to toot my own horn or to brag or anything. In fact, it's the opposite. I share it so that so that others who might be in my shoes might be able to figure things out. So my faith crisis kind of started when I was a kid in in primary actually, but I wouldn't I wouldn't call it a faith crisis at that time. But that's when I started having doubts. I don't remember what age I was, but I remember being in sacrament meeting And I must have, maybe I was eight or nine or something like that. But having the feeling, everyone else thinks their religion is true. What if they're right? What if I'm wrong? And I just kind of buried that. I put that one on my shelf. I didn't call it a shelf. I just kind of, I never talked to anyone about it. But it was a, it was a thought I had. Growing up, my mom and dad decided to homeschool me off and on. So I was kind of going back and forth between public school and homeschool and spending time with evangelical homeschool groups, whether that's evangelical Mormons or evangelical Christians or whatever. And then also trying to balance being a normal person. Like I try to be normal. I was into a lot of things that not normal religious people are into, or at least that's what I thought. You know, I liked metal. I liked punk rock. I liked horror and sci-fi, and I liked watching R-rated movies. Oh, I'm so sorry. And I did that, and I felt like I was an outsider. I felt like I was an outsider in my family. I felt like I was an outsider in my community, that I really could only be myself around myself, but not around other people because I was wrong. I was bad. And I was also depressed when I was 15. I had one of my worst bouts of depression. I was very suicidal and I made mistakes. At least I thought they were mistakes and maybe they are. I haven't gone back and thought about them, but some of those mistakes were natural things. I masturbated as a teenager and we know how the church feels about masturbation. And I felt gross and shameful for so long. So I put on a mask. I pretended to have overcome myself already. I pretended to have a strong testimony because that gave me validation. It gave me the 
love and attention that I wanted, but it wasn't truth. And that left me with an empty, hollow feeling that I tried to fill by doing the same thing that gave me the hollow feeling. And eventually that hollow feeling was depression and it hit hard and it hit fast and it sucked. And while I may have had ups and downs in the valley of depression, I never left the valley. Even on the start of my mission, in my first area, I was suicidal. And the church doesn't really do much for depressed missionaries. You know, they have this little check sheet. And if you score high enough on it, you get three sessions with a church counselor. And that's it. Three sessions. That's not enough. There's no medication involved. They just talk. And it's it was on the phone. I didn't even see my therapist face to face. And while, yes, it did help a little bit, it it didn't cure me. And while I was on my mission, things started to happen that really started my faith crisis. One of the biggest things was obedience. Obedience above all else. Because in my mind, God doesn't care if you wake up at 6.30, as long as you're helping people. God doesn't care if you didn't spend two hours studying every day. God doesn't care if you did more time doing service than proselyting. And I always enjoyed doing service more than proselyting. And yes, I wasn't the most obedient missionary. I believe it was the third day on my mission. My, uh, my trainer, he looks at me as we are studying after dinner or whatever. It was, it was at night. And he says, hey, do you like music? I was like, yeah, I like music. And he hit play on the the CD player, and that was it. I listened to normal people music my entire mission. And you know what? I still felt good about the work I was doing, especially the service. But as time went on, I started to have more gripes with the numbers. Everything was about numbers. Everything was about how many can we do? What's the record? What's... How many people can we talk to? And it doesn't really matter the person behind the number. It just matters the number. I met a lot of people who really didn't care. They counted a a first discussion as talking to someone next to them, briefly mentioning the Book of Mormon and never talking to again, not even getting their contact information. And that bothered me because for me, the whole mission purpose was to help other people not to get the most numbers. And so that weighed down on me. As that weighed down on me, I started to notice other things, especially in ward councils. I hated going to ward councils because seeing the bishop or branch president beg people to do things and no one did them, talking about the same things over and over and over and over and over again, and nothing getting accomplished. I remember distinctly there was one ward council that I went to where I believe it was the second council in the bishop bishopric flat out refused an assignment because he didn't want to do it. And I was sitting there like, what in the hell is this guy doing? Like, he was just asked to do something. And he said no. And to me, that was like, isn't the goal here to help people? Why are you being selfish? And so I started losing faith in local leadership. There was one area, and this was near the end of my mission. 
the bishop thought I was super trunky and maybe I was a little bit, but I replaced someone who was lazy. The members lost trust in the missionaries because of this elder and I replaced him and I had to build that trust up. So they didn't trust me. This elder, he and my then companion, they would go to this uh, less active member's house who was an alcoholic. They would go over and they would basically just go over there and play horseshoes all day. You know, they'd spend all day there and that'd be like the one person they saw. And when I got there, I tried to diversify our time, but I still went to visit him because I felt that we could help him because he was alcoholic and that we were making progress. But in ward council, every time I said, we visit this person's house, they would get mad and say, why are you visiting their house? They haven't made any progress, but he did. He did make progress. I got transferred and, um, I don't know what happened to them, but really the two biggest things on my mission that destroyed my faith in the leadership of the church. Well, one day we wake up to a text that says emergency zone meeting elders only bring suits. And we were in about half an hour, 45 minutes away from the rest of the zone. So we were late. We blamed not hearing the, the text on the phone not being in the room while we studied. But that was a lie. We were sleeping. But we get there. We walk in and there's the mission president. And as soon as we walk in, he says, Elders, I need your badges and your phones and your iPads. Now, we were shocked and confused about this. Then he had us a piece of paper and he says, I want you to write a letter to your parents explaining to them why you're being sent home and then write a letter to God and ask for forgiveness. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't think listening to music and sleeping in warranted getting sent home. But what had been going on was elders decided they have a sleepover the night before P-Day. That was it. They got together, hung out, played some games. We called it P-Day Eve. No big deal. We're just 19, 20-year-olds trying to de-stress, trying to relax. But no, that was the worst sin in the eyes of our mission president. So he interviewed us one by one through the entire zone. We weren't allowed to eat. We were just in the main room waiting for our turn to be interviewed and berated. We were there for 10 hours and we got sent back to our apartments and told that whatever his plan was, was we're going to find out soon and maybe we're being sent home. Maybe we're not wake up next morning to an email and he's begging for forgiveness and forgiveness was hard for me. Because I could say I forgave him, but it left psychological trauma. Later on, near the end of my mission, there was a 70 who was doing a mission tour. And he started from the northernmost end of the mission and was working his way down doing a zone conferences. And, you know, we kind of heard on the Elder Grapevine that he was a little more strict and whatnot. But once he got to my zone, um, we experienced a zone conference like no other. 
he had asked us to list the things of a faithful missionary, the attributes of a faithful missionary, and the attributes of faith in general. And he looked around after we had made our list, and he says, I don't see a single attribute among you. He didn't say this explicitly, but his message was, you are all failures of missionaries to everyone. The obedient, the disobedient, everyone was upset. Everyone was hurt. Nobody liked being told that we had no faith because at the time we all had faith. And that made me angry. It made me really angry. It made a lot of people angry. And shortly after that, I finished my mission. I was done. Two years over. Return with honor and all that kind of stuff. You know how the church is with return missionaries. You do you do your laps. You speak in a few stake stuff. But then they say to this 21-year-old, now go get married. You know, and I was all for that. I'm like, yeah, let's go date. I'm excited. You know, I wanted to have a relationship. I hadn't really had a lot of very fulfilling relationships. When I got back from a mission, I did everything. I went to family on evening. I went to institute. I went to all the potlucks and all the linger longers and everything because I wanted to meet girls. And that was my primary motivation to going to church was to meet girls. At that point, I was also pretty faithful. I think pretty soon afterwards, I got I got called to the Elder Scorn presidency and I served there fine. It was a student world. It was a student ward. So, you know, it was either Elder Scorn or Relief Society. There was no young men primary. It was just a bunch of people my age, which was kind of fun. But as I got home and realized I had no plan. You know, growing up, it's like, I'm going to the mission. I'm going to go do a mission. I don't, you know, you don't question it. At least I didn't question it. And I got home and had no idea what I was going to do with my life. At the end of my mission, I figured, oh, I'll just drive truck until, until I figure out what I want to do. You know, my parents convinced me to take at least, you know, some core gen eds. And I'm glad they did. But without... A goal in my head, I became depressed again. And I began to stop going to nearly as many activities at the church. But every time I went, I was desperately hoping that someone would notice that I'm suffering, that they could use the spirit of discernment that we all talk about and say, Hey, you look like you're having a hard time. You want to talk? Really, nobody did. Nobody noticed except for the person I ended up marrying. And she would just nod at me, say, I recognize your struggle. And I would nod back and as a thank you for noticing my struggle. And we started dating and then she moved back home after she graduated. So she was in California and I was still where I was. Um, So we did long distance. And I was in a and I was in a relationship, so the motivation for going to church started to wane because I really didn't go for anything but social reasons. And a lot of my friends were moving on to other wards and getting married, and it was starting to get lonely. So I started to pretend to go to church. 
my parents would think I went to church, but in all reality, I went to the movie theater down the street and I watched a movie. That was back when it was three hour church and we pretty much had linger longers every other week. But I would pretend I would maybe sneak out after sacrament meeting or, or maybe not even go to sacrament meeting. I just pretended. But as my marriage date got closer, you know, I wanted to be a, a good Mormon boy for my future wife. So I tried to do my best to get back into it, to become more orthodox. And it worked for a little while. I got married in the temple. And when we, after we got married, we moved to a new place. And in the new ward, we were CTR4 teachers. And being CTR4 teachers, is a lot of fun because kids don't know anything and they're goofy and they're cute. And it was fun. You know, we, we enjoyed our time as teachers. But then we moved again. We moved um, for school. My wife was starting grad school, so we moved to be closer to her school while I was finishing up my undergrad. And around that time, my youngest sibling came out as transgender. And that came out as a bit of a shock to me. I didn't really see it coming, but I still supported her and I still loved her. She is uh, male to female trans. What really, really, really kicked the faith crisis into overdrive was her treatment by members of the church. And it was specifically the leaders of the church. Most of the youth that she was associating with and friends with didn't care. They accepted her. But it was the leaders that were like, whoa, I don't like this. You know, she wore a dress to church once and it's like, oh, you're making a, an adult decision. You're not allowed to be with the other youth because you might influence them to go into the dark side of transgenderism. Like it's not something built into their DNA, you know, and while they didn't outwardly harass her, I guess, or harangue her, they didn't accept her. And even though I lived two hours away, I could see it. I could feel it. And it was tearing my family apart. None of us knew what to do. It hurt me a lot. And it was really the final straw before I went onto the the ex-Mormon subreddit for the first time. And I sorted by the top posts of all time and I started scrolling. And this was in the middle of the night. I was it was I'd gotten up to go to the bathroom just because I wanted to get out of bed because all I could think about was I don't know about the church. So I got up and I pretty much, I just sat on the toilet. I wasn't even going to the bathroom. I just sat on the toilet and I scrolled and it was the strangest jarring feeling. And I remember having the distinct thought of, Oh my God, I'm living a lie. And that's what started my path to doing the research. I listened to podcasts. That was mostly what I did. I listened to the podcasts and Whew. I had made that decision right then and there. I was done. It took about a month of research and thought, but I decided to leave the church. And what happened after that is a story for another time. In the end, I am a much happier person than I was before when I was in the church. And I really don't feel as depressed as much. A lot of my depression stemmed from feelings of shame. And as I left the church, I was able to let that shame go 
and realize what I felt shame for, I didn't need to. And I realized that I can be my own person. And that meant a lot to me, determining my own path. And now here I am. And my goal with this podcast is to help others in the same situation that I was in. And I know it's hard, but I trust you. I don't know who you are, but I trust you. I know that you are going to be able to choose for yourself what makes you happy. And maybe this is cheesy, I don't know. And if you haven't heard this today, you are loved and you matter. And one thing to always remember, the best life is the one that you choose to live in the way that you choose to live it. So until next time, this has been an ex-Mormon's Guide.